This is a Hot Pie Original. Hi, this is Pat Pearson and Hot Pie Media bringing you Stop Self-Sabotage. I'm going to be bringing you this program every week, and we're going to be delving into the wonderful messiness of our lives. We're going to be talking about your hopes, your fears, and the emotional issues that you need to resolve to make you even happier will be discussed at all all the times we're together. In this process, you got to ask yourself, what's in it for you? Well, what's in it is an uplifting information, renewed hope, and some fabulous people who are going to come in to share their life stories. All of it wrapped up in a wonderful container to help you deserve even more of life's great adventure. Come join me. We're going to have a good time on Hot Pie Media. Stop self-sabotage. We're here today to talk about depression, the soul's awakening. And I have with me an extended very fabulous guest named Deborah Gall. Debbie, hi. Great to have you. Uh, It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself and about your background, and we're going to talk about your wonderful book in a minute. Okay. Well, um, my background is that I was in business for most of my life. I was both an entrepreneur and then a corporate exec when my company was sold to DuPont. And um, so that was that was most of my life. Uh, however, before I got into business, I had been an actor and my love was theater. And so when I was finally able to um, be released from the corporate world, I decided that I wanted to reconnect with my creativity. And I felt like there was something missing in my soul, um, which is interesting that we're going to talk about this today. Yes. Uh, but yes. for me, there there was really a, a sadness that I really needed to connect with what made me um, joyful in my youth. And at that point in my life, though, I felt like it was inappropriate or just I didn't want the lifestyle of trying to be an actor, even in community theater, because I didn't want to leave my husband every night for rehearsals. But I thought that perhaps writing might feel the same. So I started taking every writing course I could get. I joined tons of writing groups. And so I've spent the last 20 years crafting stories. And um, I published uh, two books, The Dream Stitcher uh, and Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints. And so it's my favorite trajectory of my life. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Well, today we're focusing on uh, depression um, and the as a soul's awakening. Now, before we do that, I want to, of course, say to everyone who's listening, look, if you have really clinical debilitating depression, you need to see a physician. I'm using it in the context here of what we can learn from the cycle of a soul, which would have as part of it, a depressing phase. So um, I'm talking about embracing the dark to really love the light. And I'm using information here today, Debbie, that um, comes from Thomas More in his book, Care of the Soul. 
And Thomas More, I'm going to quote here. He talks about the divine madness of love and that love sparks imagination and letting go of all the daily weariness. We create a new expanded reality when we're in love. And he said that the phrase love is blind. Maybe it's the other way around. That love is illuminating, that it's no longer blind. It helps people see the angelic nature of the other. Now, I think depression can have a same cathartic experience, and that is love speeds up, depression slows us down. And in that slowing down, there can be a revelation of what is really important to us. And your book certainly talks about that. It talks about the importance of uh, understanding. Well, you know, I think, you know, it's interesting when, when you um, asked me to be on your show and you mentioned that you would be talking about Thomas More, I was actually fascinated that that's kind of uh, a backdrop for the book because the book really is about um, a darkness in the soul and moving into light. That That is very much uh, what it's about. And I think that depression can be such a um, a warning signal to us of something being wrong. And we have to listen to it. And we have to take that information and figure out how to transform ourselves into a joyful existence. Um, yes. Life is not all meant to be, you know, happy and everything is roses and lollipops. Right. Uh, every day of our life. It's just, it's just not realistic. And we have to go through times that are tamped down in order to figure out what it is that's amiss and latch onto that so that we can try to find our, our true soul's purpose. That's exactly right. And, and your book, Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints. I want to keep saying that that title, because I want people who are enjoying this program to go out and buy it. Um, it has been such a wonderful uh, read for me. And it, it's an interesting point um, that, once again, Thomas More makes, and you do as well, that depression is a word that we've used to categorize uh, our feelings and in some ways make them bad. That a Renaissance mm -hmm. word was melancholy. You know, that we that we were in a melancholic phase, which sounds to me so rich and kind of full of tapestries. And well, it's you know, so Victorian. It it's is wonderful. Well, it yeah. is. And go into the <laughs> gardens, you know, but um, and the bouts of depression can help us face what, how we need to choose our reality. Now, here's the mm -hmm. research. Eighty seven percent of women will have a depressive episode. 87%. Yeah, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. So the question is, do we label it bad, wrong? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sick, I'm crazy. Or do we see it as something that can be a breakthrough, a crack in our everyday uh, world that makes us reassess, recommit and understand ourselves better? So what I want to talk about, of course, is in your wonderful book, you talk about the bipolar nature of our world, right? Mm -hmm. And what do you mean by that? Because the world is so up and down, because there's these constant contrasts between, you know, the stock market is up, the stock market is down, you know, politics, you know, everything is wonderful, everything is horrible. There's this constant um, pull, 
you know, like we're made of taffy. And I believe that it gets us wired in that way, that we have truly, you know, it's almost become a natural state to be bipolar, to where be one day we're super happy back and next forth. Bouncing yeah. back and forth in different states. Um, so that's what I mean about the world, the bipolarity. We see bipolarity in everything that we're dealing with. Sure. In people's view of the pandemic, in people's view of racial discrimination. Um, yes. There's this terrible push-pull. And so I think our world is probably more, um, a natural state is more bipolar than it is being completely unified. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what I see. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, Tell us the story so that when we're talking about this, people understand the story and understand a little bit of of the background of why you wrote this story. Sure. Yeah. Um, Well, the plot of the book is that there's a young coming of age um, physicist who um, who has been on drugs to compare his bipolar disorder most of his life. And this drug was developed by his psychiatrist and his mother who owns a pharmaceutical company. So she can, she can do this. And at the time the story starts to take off, uh, the young man meets a shaman who tells him that he's about to have disastrous effects from this drug. The shaman also helps ask his help um, with something. And um, simultaneously, his great grandmother mother lets him know that a ghost is hovering around the family, a ghost from a 1918 pogrom. Uh, the family had committed a crime against her the night of the pogrom, and she wants this wrong righted. So these things converge, and it sets him on, on a new path. So we have a shaman, um, we have a ghost, and we have a bipolar. How, right. how fascinating is this? I see the TV. Well, I see the TV series already. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a crazy group of characters. Yeah, you have um, mental illness, an African shaman, and a Russian Revolution era <laughs> ghost from the shtetl. You know, it's a crazy combination of things. I love that. You also have uh, the other protagonist is the young man's mother who runs the pharmaceutical company. Right. She's a burnt out CEO and uh, she's got her own demons. And so the two of them have to uh, go from darkness into the light. And it is very much about both of their journeys, how they're both changed by these experiences. Yes. And that's one thing I want to bring up because, um, well, uh, I I will get, let me get into the background of, of how I wrote the book. And then I'll tell you uh, a little bit more about why I think this is a family disease rather than just an individual disease. So um, there's a history of um, bipolar disorder in my family. Um, Bipolar is hereditary as as most mental illnesses are. And um, so it it has afflicted um, generation after generation. Uh, but what family doesn't have their their demons, right? You know, right. we all have something. Right. Um, and uh, my one of my sons was going through a very difficult journey with bipolar disorder. And it was at the point where I thought I might lose him. Um, we had tried every kind of traditional therapy. And at the time, 
uh, it wasn't working for him. And I, and I want to say this at the time, eventually it did, but at this particular point in time, and sure. the reason I want to say this is there's discussion in the book about drugs versus no drugs and different therapies. I do not in any way want to say that traditional uh, approaches do not work because that just is not true. They do work. But at this time, we weren't having any success and we were really in a very dark place. And I, I truly thought I was going to lose him. Mm-hmm. Um, I happened to pick up a, a book that was about the natural approaches to mental illness. And there were a couple of paragraphs in the book about an African shaman. His name is Dr. Maladoma Same, who took an 18-year-old bipolar patient to live with his tribe in Burkina Faso in Africa. And because the indigenous beliefs of this tribe, the, they believed that anyone with mental illness was a shaman in the making, a healer in the making. I love they were that. Trying, yeah, well, they were trying to interpret messages from the spirit world, but right. those messages weren't coming through clearly. And any, you know, the village couldn't interpret those messages. So instead of viewing someone with mental illness as someone who should be reviled or pushed away, they viewed that person as someone who should be revered because they had messages we needed to hear. And because, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, what I was going to say there is that I, I think that is such a wonderful reframe and, and, um, certainly we all know that there's a narrow line between mental illness, uh, severe depression and genius. And we can talk about the Van Gogh's and the, you know, the uh, Michelangelo's and the Rembrandt's and all these folks. And I do think that there is a a stigma if you tell someone that you're depressed, that there's not an embracing of it. it. And to say to them, well, congratulations. I hope there's a breakthrough in this for you. I know you're going to handle this well, rather than, oh, poor baby. And we got to get you medicated, you know? No, it's true. And particularly in our society in the United States, we feel that every day you must be happy. And that's just ridiculous. It's It's just tiring. It's 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 exhausting. No wonder we're all depressed. (laughs) (laughs) We're exhausted from being happy. You know, that's the way it is. But but anyway, um, so uh, my story about Dr. Somay. So what happened is that this 18-year-old bipolar patient who lived with the tribe, because he was seen differently, he healed. Yes. And he yes. went back to the United States. He finished a medical degree at Harvard. And I was just fascinated by that. And it gave me so much hope. So story. Yeah. I read I read Dr. Semi's work. I ended up spending a week with him in the Oregon forest learning ritual and um, indigenous belief. And that led to the writing of the book. Yeah. Now, this is this is an aspect I don't usually talk about, but but I was reflecting on a little bit as I was thinking about your show. Um, I mentioned to you that I believe that um, mental illness in this case, bipolar disorder, but any mental illness is really a family disease. It's not just the person who's afflicted. Right. It affects, it affects everyone. Sure. And um, the, what I learned in my journey to help my son was absolutely very much about what I had to do to let go. 
It was about the changes I needed to make in myself and the acceptance I needed to find in the situation I was in, that rather than push it away and say it was scary or, oh my God, it was so fearful, I had to embrace it and realize that this was a natural part of life. Yes. And I needed to help as much as I could. But in that help, I had to let go. Yes. And during my work with Dr. Somay, he told me I would write a book. And when the book was released, all of my issues with my son's journey would disappear. Now, I cannot tell you because our memory is an interesting thing. I cannot tell you if he actually said that to me or if I've made it up and believed it (laughs) over the years, but I have believed it and it fueled me. And I am telling you that now that the book has been released, I see my son as so completely whole and that he had been on the right journey after all. And he is in exactly the right place because of the work we jointly did, did both separately and together. Mm, I love that. Wow. Let me just sit yeah. with that for one second. Sure. What happens in me when I hear that, Debbie, is that there's the the mutuality of healing in that. It's the healing of you and the healing yeah. of him, but the, but the interconnection of those healings, you saw him differently. You became, um, the, in and of the culture that you were just talking about and that he had special gifts, that he was bringing those gifts to his life, that they would have a, they would have a good effect. That is so much different than when we view people as, have being crazy or, or being a, a good person, but with a crazy brain. And, and then we, we, there's a, there's a way in which we, uh, that attitude then permeates their energy. They, they couldn't be around me if I had that attitude about them and not feel it. Right. And, and there's also an aspect of, you know, what I did early on was, was try to hang on you know, hang on because, you know, if I hung on, maybe he'd be okay. No, that's not the answer. You have to let go. So it's both Mm. seeing the person as whole while you're going through the issue as a way to help them through that. And that's what happens in synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints. Yes. Both of these people finally learn to let go. They finally learn how to be whole. And I wanted people to be able to see that in novel form. So, yes, um, yes. And that is, you know, as we're talking about depression or any kind of mental disturbance as a way to awaken the soul. It's it's if if it's framed in the right framing, you know, by the people around you and by yourself. You know, if you could say this is part of the soul cycle, it is not I am not bad or wrong that I feel depressed at this moment. I may not like it. I may not want to live in it. However, it is what it is. And if I accept it, then I can move through it. You know, there's a phrase in psychology I've always liked, and it says, the only way out is through. Absolutely. The only way out is through. And what I'm wanting to do with the people listening to this podcast is give them some permission, maybe new permission, that if they feel depressed, that doesn't mean something is fundamentally wrong with them. It is a soul cycle. 
And um, that's why I like Thomas More and his Care of the Soul, because he writes about the gifts of depression and what mm-hmm. we can get from that if we see it in that kind of way. Once again, I'm not talking about horrible clinical depression, and I'm not saying that you don't take medication. I'm just saying that you view it in a different way rather than something's wrong with you. This is a natural cycle. It's not good or bad. It is what we make it. Yeah. Um, I, I also want to say that I, I think, um, you know, this is a really good time to talk about this issue because yes. I think that we're going to have a pandemic of mental illness. You know, we've, we've yep. had a tough, you know, year. We already do. Yeah. Um, we're still dealing. And I think that there's um, more and more people that are going to feel it, even as we're coming out of the pandemic, because there was transition getting into the pandemic and now there's transition get, getting out of the pandemic. Right. And so right. And we've got a lot of sadness to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it is natural. And it's natural that we should look at what's happened to us in the past year in our own personal pandemic and say, these are the things I want to get rid of that I don't want to go back to. Mm-hmm. And there are things lacking in my soul that I need to embrace to move on. There's going to be a real introspection. And I think uh, an increased amount of sadness as we deal with that. And it is natural and it's going to be natural for a while as we all deal with this. Yes. Yes. Well, I think we've been in in a collective um, depressive mood, you know, I mean, we may be coming out of it a little bit now with the, you know, with the vaccines and all this kind of stuff, but, but still, and then, and the, then the question becomes, how do I want to use it? How can I make this work for me? You know, rather than, Mm -hmm. oh, I want to run away from it as quickly as possible. Because one of the real understandings of embracing the cycles of your soul is that there are no bad cycles there. Mm -hmm. There's learning in every cycle. And so if you take, if you take that as a, uh, as a request to, to learn. Okay. So let's go back to this wonderful book, Synchronicities. I love saying that word on the, <laughs> on the Avenue of the Saints. It just flows off my tongue. Okay. Yes. Well, my editor tried to talk me out of that title in all kinds of ways, but you know, that is the, that's the name of the book. Okay. So, um, is there, uh, describe how indigenous cultures view mental illness and some of these things versus our culture. Yeah. So I, I mentioned this before that, uh, indigenous cultures believe that anyone with a mental illness is a shaman in the making. Yes. So, um, they're, they're healers trying to come through and that they, their energy has been confused in this world mm. and maybe merged with a different kind of energy. And yeah. so the person that's holding those different energies um, has a very difficult time communicating. So there's a lot, there's, there's ritual and ceremony. The community comes together to try to help that person become that person they're supposed to be. They're embraced and nurtured because not only are they trying to help the person, they're trying to help the tribe. So the tribe needs that person. They are very important to them. That is exactly the opposite of how we view somebody with mental illness in our society. Yes, yes. Though not, though not all, you know, in, in, in past times, people who were um, eclectic or, or a little bit strange, um, may have been viewed as an artist or married. Well, 
Yeah, or may have been yeah. viewed as creative. Um, well, I mean, there's no there's no question, and and actually, there's there's some discussion of that in the book. There's no question that there's a very thin line between genius and artistry. There, uh, it is it is very prevalent, and I'm not sure that you can create art if you're not a little bit on the edge. That it's that uh, border that creates the friction that excites. Um, and heats up creativity. Yes. So I I don't doubt that. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you know, I, I love the uh, concept in your book and echoed with the Thomas More book about that melancholy um, or in your book about uh, the emerging healer, you know, that, that it has to be nurtured to be used appropriately and to have breakthroughs with it. That mm-hmm. if it's seen as bad or wrong, it, it's stigmatized stigmatizes it and then you can't then you can't use it because you're you're immediately in a defensive position about it you know rather than seeing being seen as an emerging healer you're you're seen as damaged or having and and i and i see you know in, in a way there's a concept of um we need community and others to help that person you know pull yes. it through it's almost like sending a doula in for a birth Yes. You know, yes. we, we come into this world where we, we hope we're not alone. There's people to help right. birth that person. Yeah. We need, you know, when someone has mental illness and they're struggling with uh, what's trying to come through, that disconnection with their soul, they need other people to help in that process, pull that soul through. I love so that. for me, you know, it feels very much like a birth. It's a rebirth yes. of yes. someone's soul. And well, coming into purpose. It, well, it is. And, and a connection. I mean, the other thing is that I'm reminded um, uh, of something that happened to me um, in college, which, which is a depressive time for many people. You know, they hit their um, and I had broken up with a boyfriend. Many um, he'd broken up with me. <laughs> A long, a long and sad history, (laughs) a long and sad history. And I was like two in the morning, which is when you're 22, you know, you're up in this, you've got this angst going on and I am crying and, you know, throwing myself on my, on my uh, bed. And so I decided to go for a walk um, through the, um, through the big open space in my college. And I thought, and I said, if, is, if there's anyone in this world who cares about me, let them show up. Now, this is a little bit magical thinking at two in the morning on <laughs> Wednesday night, but <laughs> down the path comes- There's this, someone always up at college. Well, that's it. <laughs> down the path comes my friend, Jim. And he says to me, Pat, what's wrong? And I sit down and I'm crying and I tell him, and I, and I you know, and he listened, and he was lovely. And we've been friends for, for decades since then. Because there was See, that, that moment, you know? Yeah. And and in some ways, that breakup was the very best thing that could have happened to you because it forged a relationship with your good friend, Jim. That's right. You know, I just, can't even remember who it was. There were so many, Deb. They all fit. Yeah, well, I understand. <laughs> I, you know, and, and as well, there should be. Who would pass up such a fabulous person? Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> um, anyway, so... Um, yeah. Reminds me, though, that we should talk, or, or I'd like to talk for a second about synchronicities. Yes. Because what happened to you uh, on that path at 2 a.m. Yes. When you were 
expecting to be helped right. is that someone showed up and that that was an important moment in your life. It was. That was synchronicity. Yes. And there's, um, of course, the book is called Synchronicities on the Avenue of Saints, but there's a, a thread of synchronicities, which are kind of a juncture between the real world and the spiritual world. Um, you know, things line up that don't necessarily have much association with each other, but, but because we view it as associated, those things become synchronicities. Right. Um, <clears throat> and our protagonist, Noah, tracks synchronicities. He's got a synchronicity notebook and he writes down all the things that seem to be similar in his life and he studies it. He's a physicist that studies synchronicities. Synchronicities, uh, which was, you know, championed by Carl Jung, but it was, it's also an area of physics and it's actually studied um, Mm. because, you know, there's all kinds of crazy things that happen in quantum uh, physics yeah, and synchronicities exactly. seem to be similar to that. So I just I just want to mention that what you experienced in the middle of your crisis was a synchronicity. Right. And I believe that if you're going through a tough time, if you're if you're going through some depression, one thing that's helpful is to start to notice those minute things that seem to line up for you. Take a walk in nature. Just notice what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. Start Mm -hmm. taking notes and you will see a preponderance of synchronicities show up for you. They will. I love that. And when that starts to happen, note them, follow the trail, be infused by everyday magic because that's what's appearing for you. The Mm. world is filled with everyday magic. I love that. Everyday magic. That sounds like a, that sounds like a song, doesn't it? (laughs) Let's make one up right now. Oh yes. Let's let's sing. sing. What a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but I love the point. The point is that if you're going to use depression, if, if a, you accept it as part of the soul cycle, that this is a naturally occurring phenomenon, that everybody has it, um, and that it is there to teach you something so that it's not something to ha- that you have to avoid or, or, or demean by saying, oh, I'm just crazy or I'm just depressed or I can't do anything. But that then as a way of reactivating the cycle to move through maybe, you start looking for synchronicities. You look for that, for that gift that's put at your feet. I mean, my friend Jim has been one of the greatest gifts of friendship in my life. And my friendship with him was cemented in that moment of deep pain when something in my soul said, is there anyone anywhere that could be for me? Yeah. You called out to the universe. I did. And the universe answered. I did. And that is a perfect example yeah. of everyday magic. Well, you know, when, when I was going through the, the dark time that I described um, and I was looking for answers, I just remember sitting in my backyard watching a bee on a flower. And I literally would sit there for like three hours watching a bunch of bees pollinate. Nice. And I saw patterns. And then that led me to watch 
birds and watch their patterns. I know this sounds goofy, but they're really that slowing down and watching what happened in nature and then noticing that, huh, the same bird followed me um, at different times of the day. Right. And wasn't yeah. that wasn't that interesting? Those things helped change me. And so I just mentioned that because that might help someone going through a very tough time. Of, slow of, down. Slow slow, down well, and that's back. what depression does. It slows you down, you know? Um, and, and that's really in some ways with the pandemic. Well, certainly with the pandemic did for many well, of us, you know, one, one of the themes in the book is slow down to go fast. Right. I and love that. I think that's a perfect analogy for depression. If depression slows you down, it is necessary and it slows you down so that you might go fast. Exactly. And maybe go fast, maybe be weller than well. You know, right. Um, when I was studying, uh, 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 I was studying with a woman named Stephanie Symington, who was one of the people who uh, worked with cancer patients. And what she found is that once they work through some of the, the feelings that they had about having cancer and came out, um, you know, dealing with the sadness, the depression, the mm-hmm. anger, all the grief stages that they came out um, and they were treated. They came out weller than well that they were better than they were before they had the disease. So, you know, it's, that's the soul's awakening. That's what depression can lead us to. Now, one last question here, Deb, is what, name one key idea you hope your readers take away from this great story. Um, well, I hope um, I, I already mentioned slow down to go fast. I want them to do that. I want them to note synchronicities. And, they, and I want them more than anything to know that there is help out there. Mm-hmm. You're not alone when you have a tough time. Right. Embrace the tough time. You will get through it. You'll be better. And um, yeah, I guess... I guess those are the main ideas. And, the, and if somebody embraces that, I'll feel, I'll feel fantastic. Yes. And that the, the potentiality in, um, in, uh, in depression is that you can come back as a healer. I mean, I know in my, in my profession, the most of us got into being psychotherapists or, or, or psychologists or social workers out of our own need of being healed. So. Absolutely. Well, it's it's similar to my own journey with writing. You know, I wrote this book. Um, I'm I'm a writer, but I wrote the book because I wanted to heal. Yes, and I healed through the writing, so that I could move on, so that I um, could stop. I, I, I it's funny. I was just going to say so I could stop talking about it, but I'm talking about it now, but not in that way. So right. I could stop doing, you know, the psychological right. every day, discussing the same thing. Yes, you know, you yes. need to move through. And so for me, the writing was healing and I was able to move through any issues that I had. But that's, you know, that's true of a lot of people that they really journaling can be a huge experience when you're in a depressive state, you know, <clears throat> so that uh, you you hear yourself in the journal and you hear yourself um uh, and you process through the journal. Well, the other thing that's interesting about journaling uh, is it gives you a record that you can go back and yes. look at what you yes. journal. If you find 
months in and months out that you're journaling about the same thing without making any movement. Right. You need to pay attention to that. Yes. That there's something there that's unresolved that needs you. um, It's calling to you to make change. Yes, of course. Well, I tell you what's unresolved with everyone uh, other than you and I is that they have not had the pleasure of reading this book and they need to. Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints by Deborah Gall, G-A-A-L, is one wonderful, insightful, fun, crazy read. (laughs) And I want... I want everyone to do that for themselves. I love the ghost too. The ghost is one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I appreciate the plug. And because you did such a great job of plugging, I don't have to give my own version of it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amazon, where, where can they get it, Deb? Help me. Uh, every, any place books are sold, they okay. can, you know, an independent bookstore won't necessarily have it on the shelves, um, but they can yeah. certainly ask them to order it. Yeah. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you like to buy your books. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for being with us and uh, sharing your insights into this great story. And, and uh, I wish you much, much uh, good in your, your future writings. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor and a pleasure. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.